Welcome, everyone. I'm Jeremy Simon with 3D Universe, and uh, I want to thank you for joining us for episode five of 3D Universe Untethered. On today's discussion, we're going to be chatting with uh, Jesse Tovis, who is an Emmy-nominated visual artist, and hear about how he uses 3D printing in his work. So this should be an exciting discussion. Uh, I'd like to uh, go ahead and invite uh, my co-host, Jen Owen, and our guest, uh, Jesse Tovis, to join me on screen here, if you guys want to start your video. And uh, we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, for anybody uh, watching or listening to the podcast of this, uh, you can always find the recordings of these sessions. Uh, the easiest way is to go through our blog, 3duniverse.org. You'll see a graphic for 3D Universe Untethered in the upper left. And that'll take you to a page where you can get to the recordings and uh, registration for upcoming episodes. So with that, uh, welcome, guys. Um, I think most of you know Jen. Uh, Jen Owen is our creative director and helps me to host these sessions. And uh, today, I'm pleased to also introduce Jesse Tovis, who is a Los Angeles-based, Emmy-nominated, multiple VES award-winning visual effects artist and animator, quite some creds. Jesse is best known for his work on Battlestar Galactica, one of my all-time favorite shows, and uh, also Sci-Fi's Defiance, and is originally from the island of Guam in the USA. Currently, Jesse is getting ready to print a one-and-a-half-foot-tall version of the lead character of his graphic novel, Encoding Bushido, as a reward for the highest tier in his Kickstarter campaign for the book, so we'll hear a little bit about that. He has an Ultimaker 2 3D printer, which was given to him by Ultimaker to print a previous statue of a Gulani, a robotic-looking character from Sci-Fi's Defiance. And uh, so welcome, Jesse. So glad you could join us today. Glad to be here. I love 3D Universe. <laughs> Terrific. We're thrilled to have you. It's really yeah. awesome to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. yeah. So let's get into it. Um, Jen, you want to start us off? Yeah, um, Jesse, you've been doing visual effects for years now since you've moved here from um, Guam to California. Uh, what got you interested in this type of work and art, art style? Uh, <laughs> well, a lot. Uh, like a lot of kids growing up where I'm from, this is, this is a really long story, so I'll keep it as short as possible. <laughs> Guam is heavily influenced by Japan, of course, Jap uh, Japanese culture, cinema, television, but it's also, you know, it's, it's an American territory. So it has this mishmash, kind of a, a melting pot of culture in terms of media. So I was exposed to as much uh, anime as I was to, you know, Scooby-Doo, you know, and all these, everything just kind of, kind of congealed together, you know, for, for a lot of the kids there. Uh, so growing up, animation was a big thing with me, but it was when I saw Toy Story in Jurassic Park. It was, I think that was 1992. Mm -hmm. uh, it actually started with the Terminator and I was in, in college at the time studying art. Uh, and I was one of the few guys who was actually starting to get interested in computers in my program. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, the, you're watching these movies and everybody's just fascinated. Like, how did they do that? And I was one of the few guys who actually used one of the only existing internet connections at the University of Guam. You know, to, at, the terminal was free. It was the only place on the entire island you could use the internet for free. And I was on it like every single day. <laughs> like when you establish that fiber connection, man, they were just looking at me and, oh, it's him again. 
And what's he looking at? Oh, he's on the Pixar website or he's on the um, uh, the Industrial Light and Magic something fan page or whatever. There were all kinds of weird little links at the time. Uh, but I, you know, I had started applying to places like DreamWorks and when they were just starting out, uh, Pacific Data Images, which merged with DreamWorks. Uh, I still have all those old rejection cards. I don't know, they used to send out postcards. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were just charming. Like, I, oh, I got rejected. I got, look, you know, it's real. And like, it was like, you know, they actually bothered to look at my my reel. But one of the things I was missing was that they they didn't pay for relocation at the time. A lot of those companies, they were just, you know, starting out. So they're, you know, from Guam, that's like a, at the time, even it was like $1,700 one way that I, I think I still remember that airfare. I had the ticket stuff somewhere because I was just so shocked by it. Uh, but yeah, I, I realized I had to move here. So, you know, one summer I just told everybody I knew I'm moving to California. I'm going to try to get into this business. But even that wasn't the real draw. The, the real draw was to get into comics. Uh, you know, that had always been my, you know, as an illustrator first, digital artist second. Uh, that was always my goal, you know, like at some point to get into comics, to do comics. I didn't care what it was. And I got as close as I was going to get the summer of 1994, I think it was 95. I'd gone to Comic-Con in, uh, in San Diego, met with the Marvel art director, and he was like doing this, right? Looking at my stuff, like... <laughs> It's like really hard thinking about it. His name was Darren Auk, for those guys who remember that, those uh, those those years of Marvel, kind of a transition period for them uh, into and out of bankruptcy back then. Uh, but he looked at it and he said, I will never forget it. He said, you know, I could give you a development script. And it was like the light went off because they're like, all right, I've spent every penny I have coming here. I've spent years practicing. This is the closest I've gotten in a couple of years of trying. I'm like, I need to try this other thing. And within like a, another year, I had a job at an advertising agency. Or as I, actually that summer, I got a job at a place in San Diego that did digital uh, illustration for advertising, basically 3D before. And then I got into another company that did uh, uh, another local company in San Diego that did video cinematics for sony playstation games um, that's cool and then i made the move to la and the rest is history <laughs> that's awesome nice now before we move on i just want to mention uh, i forgot to mention at the beginning that the folks watching in our uh, audience are welcome to use the q a panel if you want to ask questions during this we'll try to keep an eye on that and we'll, we'll bring those questions into our discussion here or get back to them at the end but please feel free to use that q a panel if you want to get involved in our discussion or ask some questions of Jesse here. So, uh, so Jesse, you have been nominated for an Emmy Award, which is mind blowing. I mean, that's awesome. And you've also two won a number of two of them, my God. I mean, yeah. and, and then numerous other awards. So you've you've gotten quite some some wonderful recognition for your work as a visual artist and animator, most notably, again, for your work on Battlestar Galactica, which was just mind blowing when I heard about that, because it's one of my all time <laughs> favorite series. How did you get involved with that particular production? That's another long story. <laughs> okay, well, I'm good at I'm good at telling stories. Uh, well, I worked at uh, after San Diego, uh, that company Visionscape Imaging. Uh, a bunch of guys moved up to Los Angeles before my particular team and my friends did, 
And they laid the groundwork for us at a place called Foundation Imaging. You know, this, this funny name pattern in companies is going to emerge. Uh, but they, you know, they started work on, uh, Foundation Imaging was actually the place that uh, handled the effects for Star Trek Voyager, uh, Star Trek Enterprise, all that whole series of Brandon Braga series for Star Trek back in the relaunch. Uh, it was after Next Gen, but, you know, they pretty much took over virtually everything for Star Trek. And they were working on, I didn't work on those series. The, the company was working uh, on uh, Starship Troopers, the Roughneck, the Roughnecks the series based on the, the movie, which yeah. was strange because the movie was rated R and they made a kid show out of it. And nobody, <laughs> nobody could understand that. Yeah. But it was a fantastic project. I mean, they tried to get, you know, hyper real objects like, you know, out of, you know, a, a team of basically beginners, you know, there were very, very few veterans on the Roughnecks team. But that company ended up bidding for the series, the the, the relaunch of uh, what are the what do they call it? The reimagining of Battlestar Galactica. And as a favor to the the team leader for the pitch, I built uh, my design, you know, for a Centurion, a Cylon Centurion. A bunch of guys, other guys, were doing like sketches, and but nobody had the time to do a model. And I spent, you know, nights, you know, every night that I had, every weekend that I had, building my version and my design of this Cylon. Uh, no one's ever seen it really in public. I don't even think somebody put a video of the pitch we did on YouTube. It might be out there, you know, you could look for it. Hmm. But, you know, as, a, as that favor, you know, we, it didn't pan out. Another, you know, another company got the work. But the person I did the favor for got the job at Zoic Studios uh, and, uh, he, he called me up one day, his name's Lee Stringer. Uh, and he called me up one day and said, well, I got the job, you know, I swear to God, I've got the job that if, you know, I could make the decision and I can, you would get the model, the Centurion for Battlestar Galactica. Right. Wow. And that was a huge deal, you know? And I was like, you're kidding. Right. You know, cause I mean, he and I joke about you know, he'll rip me on something. You know, I'll rip him on something. And I'm like, oh, you're full of crap. You know, that's, there's no way, you know, like I was working at a place called Rhythm and Hughes at the time uh, in commercials. And they had, uh, they had a pretty full roster, you know, like there was a ton of work. So it was going to be that situation all over again. You know, I'm going to be working nights on my own, you know, uh, weekends when I can, because, you know, I can't work at Zoic, and even though they're kind of close together, Zoic Studios and Rhythm and Hughes were only a few miles from each other, maybe even less than three miles, I think, at one time. Actually, that's not, I'd have to look at the geography, but they were, they were close together, you know, like a lot of studios and like a lot of businesses are in visual effects. They're all kind of in Santa Monica or, or you know, Hollywood or Burbank. There's clusters across, you know, the Southland here. But, you know, he promised, you know, I, I'm a man of my word, you know, I, I got to model the thing from home, much to the aggravation of everybody else who wanted to work at home yeah. <laughs> on that project. That was, and now everyone's working at home, you know, so I, another, another way I could kind of consider myself a pioneer. Yeah. Uh, sure. But uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big deal. So, uh, it was just you know, totally a favor. So you actually, I mean, you, you imagined, or I guess we could say reimagined the the Centurion that design. I, how how close to that original model that you did did they end, did it end up being in the series? Did it go through a lot of changes, or did they stick to what you uh, put together? 
Oh no, they they threw out what I did entirely. Okay. Uh, I had a I had a completely different. My well, you know, the consideration, the only note about the creation of the Cylon for the series was, it has to be obvious that it's not a man in a suit. That was the only directive. You know, it could have been anything, and people did anything and everything. But there was, I, I and you know, the movie Gladiator came out not too long. You know, between the you know the the pitch and the job being awarded, and I was obsessed with the 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 armor that the gladiators were wearing. You know, it was really strange and had asymmetry. You know, armor here but weapon here. You know, uh, really interesting stuff. So I adapted a lot of that. Kind of old, you know, centurion, uh, or not centurion, but gladiatorial ornamentation, you know, to what I was doing, as well as the unbalanced look of it. It was kind of unsettling. Yeah. But why? What one of the other directives uh, I felt was, and I didn't get it. You know, I didn't get that directive when I was doing my version. Was that it be feminine? You know yeah. that it. You know, you look at the centurion, and it comes to a point—a very tiny waist, yeah. broad shoulders, and hips. You know, and very slender features, arms, legs, uh, and stuff like that. And there was even a an animation note when they were doing the miniseries that they wanted the, it, its first walk on screen to be like a model coming down a catwalk, which uh, my roommate at the time animated, uh, Mark Scheimer. Uh, that that was one of those you know let's go through fifty revisions because it still isn't right you know and like again and again and again. And it should be noted that I, I kind of bookend the series that I built the Centurion, but I didn't animate a single Cylon till the season 4.5. Hmm. You know, when I officially entered, like no longer working from home, I'm officially in the building. Now I can do all of this stuff. You know, they brought me in at the very, very, very end, um, which I'm grateful for because that was. I think I was the only guy who animated Cylons in the finale, like the only guy. You know, the, every Cylon you see in the finale of Battlestar Galactica, I animated. Wow. Uh, I was that was I was not told that's the way. I thought I was going to be part of a team. <laughs> you know, that they had a they had a team of uh, other effects guys, other 3D guys. They had a couple modelers. They had tons of compositors, and there's that one guy doing animation, you know, in, in the corner. You know, <laughs> I yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a great, great team, and I I all I will always bring up his name, Gary Hutzel, the visual effects uh, lord and master on that job throughout those years. Passed away uh, in 20, 2016. Um, he gave me every opportunity, and I took it. <laughs> so when it comes to Battlestar Galactica, he kept bringing me back, you know, like uh, awesome. really fantastic human being. And every day I miss the guy, you know, yeah. so got to mention his name. <laughs> of course. What what has been your favorite digital animation work so far? Uh, you know, in Hollywood, they always say that uh, what's that saying? Um, uh, it's, it's your last job. That kind of defines you. You're nothing but your last job. So, but I, I kind of wouldn't say that. I, I would definitely say that the first time I got to animate the Centurion that I built, yeah. you know, for the the miniseries in that finale was kind of you know they call them full circle moments. Mm -hmm. That was a big one for me. You know, like because I can remember I flashed back to where. 
think I was eight years old when the first Battlestar Galactica came out, you know, and I was obsessed with Cylons, you know, and my mom would be so annoyed, like, no, I'm not going to buy you the toys. No, I'm not going to blah, blah, blah. Those are expensive. You know, toys on Guam that are shipped from the United States are super expensive. So they're almost twice the price of what you would pay. You know, I remember hearing that, you know, from my mom, you know, like, you're kidding me. No, we're not getting that. And they're like, oh. You know, Sarah, so a grown up, an anime, like I just sat there, you know, I can kind of almost remember the day. It was raining, you know, so it reminded me of being back home where you get like 100 inches of rain a year, whereas in Los Angeles, you get maybe 10 you know, a year. And so it's pouring rain outside. I'll look outside. I'm like, like, wow, I was eight years old when I was like, now I'm animating a Cylon. You know, I don't have to buy one. I'm actually you know, responsible for creating that for somebody yeah. else. And you know, really just, really it, awesome. it hits you. It really well, hits you. Yeah. Interestingly enough, that's a good lead into kind of bringing 3D printing into the discussion, which yeah. of course is, is our thing. You know, I, it's so, how cool is it that now you can 3D print those toys and, and yeah. you know, and, and uh, items for yourself that, uh, you know, you didn't get before. So, yeah. so how did you first get started with 3D printing? Uh, that was another thing it was just, you know, you obsess about and obsess about a friend of mine, uh, who I hadn't talked to in a while, but you know, of course, Facebook, you know, keeps people connected via whatever. Uh, he had bought one of the first maker bots, you know, the, the, the DIY kits, okay, uh, yeah. the old, the old rep rap kits. Yeah. And I was like, what is that? You know, a maker, <laughs> bot? What, what the hell is that? Like, dude, it's totally cool. It's like a printer, but it prints in 3D. And I'm like, no, you know, like, and I had already, you know, I remember the days before that uh, when we were at Foundation Imaging, they, they sent out one of the figures from Roughnecks to be 3D printed and they brought it into the office, you know, like, and I was familiar with, you know, the rapid prototyping displays at SIGGRAPH. But, you know, it's a, it's a, another thing to say that's $100,000, you know, to get that unit. That's, that's meant for industrial use. It's another thing to see your friend build a kit that he bought online. It's like, dude, these are totally, I'm going to get like 10 of them. You know, like, what are you talking about? No, there's no way this is real. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just started to obsess about it ever since, you know, like, and then there was a uh, 3D printing expo at the Burbank Marriott which I know a lot of people show up to. Uh, it, I forget what year that was. It was only a few years ago, maybe 2014 or so. Uh, but they had, you know, MakerBot made their big, big push to have their new series of fully manufactured printers with the smart extruders. And uh, I was sucked in, you know, I was like, all right, put me on pre-order. I have to have one of these. You know, like I didn't want to do the DIY kit, the the, uh, the rep wrap kit, because I, my friend, as enthusiastic as he was, when I saw his results, I was like, Ugh. you know, like, <laughs> they were not they were not particularly good results. And you know, he would he would uh, he would kind of detail the failures more than the successes because those were you know uh, kind of hit and miss, like a lot yeah. of people were, you know. But the the promise of them was there. So as soon as they came out with that new line, I was like, I've got to have one of these. Uh, kind of don't care what it costs. Put me down for work, the the MakerBot Mini. I'll start that way. And that was under two thousand dollars. But you know, everybody has documented the problems with those early days of the smart extruder. 
And I was kind of, you know, I, I push things to the limit no matter what, you know, I make a, you know, I made a creative decision to have something 3D printed for a Long Beach Comic Con that I was going to. Uh, and it was that two foot tall Gulani. We had just finished Defiance. I just got the printer. I had successfully printed out tons of things. You know, the, the, the smart extruders had kind of this really f- steep drop off in reliability, but I hadn't reached it yet. Okay. Uh, so I had reliably printed some really great stuff, was committing to doing the Gulani, and then it started to fail. So you know, I, I got online with these guys and, they, you know, there was nothing they could do. It was, it was definitely an engineering problem, you know, they, and they, had, they have since sorted out, I, I suspect, a lot of them. But I didn't have time. I was committed to printing this thing for Long Beach. I contacted Maker, or excuse me, Ultimaker via Twitter. <laughs> I posted a picture of my a CG render of the Gulani. And I said, like, look, I can't print this thing. Is this something, you know, I, th- I think my exact words were, look what I can't print now because MakerBot can't help me. Can you help me? I was desperate. You know, I was just kind of bleeding out on the internet at the time, which I'm trying not to do anymore. You know, that's a lesson learned. Uh, But you know, maybe I should do it more because someone from uh, Ultimaker actually tweeted back and said, you know, like, this is a beautiful project. Um, We'd like to help you with it. Here's my contact information. Let's talk on Monday. And I was committed to buying right there, sight unseen, another 3D printer. I didn't care what it cost. I was going to get this thing printed. You know, it wasn't a smart business decision, but it was, as a creative thing, you know, artists, they obsess over their work. This has to be done. Yeah. Uh, and if the only thing is that I spend money, additional money on something that I'll use anyway, that's an investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a sunk cost at all to me. So I was committed to buying this thing. And I fin- he, he emails me back and says, I'm gonna send you the printer, finish your project and we'll talk afterwards, right? And I was, as since said, this guy's the coolest guy in the world. I got the printer within a week or two, finished the project in a week, right? Uh, of like almost 24 seven printing, brought it to Long Beach Comic Con. I swear to God, people were just like, it was in the early days of 3D printing. Nobody had 3D printed anything. And here I am with a two foot tall maquette from the show. So it was like a, you know, it was like having, laying out honey to flies, you know, people were just <laughs> buzzing around my table. They didn't give a, they didn't give a, a, a rat's, you know what, about my comics, but they were just like, what is that? Is that 3D printed? Blah, blah, blah. You know, just like conversation after conversation. Oh, yeah. I didn't mind one bit. Yeah. I put out a sign in front of me that said proudly made with an Ultimaker, right? I put the logo on it and everything. I didn't, even I at that point didn't care about my comics because this, this was just so cool. <laughs> you know, like I, I just had this, this new thing, you know, it was the shiny new object that everybody got to play with. And uh, I remember I probably sold more Ultimakers that, that two day weekend of Long Beach Comic Con than, uh, than I can count, you know, like, the, the cosplayers in particular were, were extremely interested and in, like every single one of them would stop by my table. Like everyone who had been previously building with foam oh, was yeah. looking at this two foot tall thing. Like, I didn't know you could make things that big. And then I give them the spiel. This is how you do it. You break it up, yeah. you use the software to do blah, 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 Cura, blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. Yeah. So, which everyone is doing now. You were yeah. a pioneer. <laughs> yeah. I was back in the day. I think I, it was only, 
I'd have to count, but it was it was less than twenty pieces total to build to build that two foot model. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I didn't. You didn't even. It didn't even need to be that complex because they originally I had broken it up to print on the MakerBot, so there was that many more pieces. Right. Um, but now that I had the the Ultimaker, I stopped you know slicing the way I was, and then just I picked up halfway, and it, it ended up being fewer pieces just because of the volume of the Ultimaker. And yeah. That that alone meant printing was you know instead of a month it was a week you know yeah. so uh, but that that piece ended up I ended up mailing that to Ultimaker like take this to the CES show it's yours you know That's and I remember seeing video of guys at CES like hey there's like Galani and like proudly displayed in their their floor uh, their floor kiosk you know like. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, that was that was a pretty fantastic year, you know. So, of just event, project. yeah, event after event, you know, it was. I was really happy with that, and unfortunately, the the gentleman, um, uh, I I'm gonna butcher his name because it's actually Dutch, but I, I always call him Matt uh, Mathis the dude, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> it. His last name is, is is like D E D E U J D or something like that. It's an odd spelling, you know, in, to the Western eye. And uh, I just call him Mathis the Dude, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, but he was the one who set me up with that, and he uh, he moved on to a startup uh, from, after leaving Ultimaker. But uh, another shout out to that guy if he's listening, you know, yeah. at some point uh, we still talk occasionally. Yeah, a lot of good people over there for sure. So you, so you went through had had some experience with the MakerBot. You uh, you kind of switched up to an Ultimaker two. What about these days? Are you still using that same printer? Have you, you tried any others? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, I, I you know it was one of those realizations about three D printing that to get the results that I really want, I've got to send out still. I've got to outsource stuff. So you know, three D systems. Uh, or I forget, is that 3D Systems that actually is located in Santa Clarita? They do outsource large format uh, virtually everything. Uh, yeah, nice. And, you know, I, I was thinking like, and this is what these machines are good for, prototyping. So I'm going to prototype on my Ultimaker 2 for as long as it lasts. Uh, I desperately wanted that new Ultimaker with the dual extruder to like just salivating, you know, just like <laughs> guys do over the new power tool that comes out. You know, you gotta have one, you gotta have one. Uh, you know, with COVID put you know, all kinds of, you know, things into perspective and into the back burner. And that was one of them. You know, I had, I was making maybe a five-year plan of you know, doing a lot more with, uh, you know, printing in 3D. But, you know, it, it's still, it's a rock solid machine, you know, people yeah, have it, talked it about. Works. Yeah. Uh, I've I've only ever replaced the extruder, you know, like you're supposed to at you know given times. Uh, I've been really lucky with the belts, you know, they've they're the original belts, uh, the original plate, glass plate. I know a lot of people have broken theirs over time, <laughs> but I've got a lot of the original stuff. Uh, I haven't even updated the firmware, oh. and I know there have been firmware updates, but oh, yeah. like, you know, I'm Let not having any problems. You know, I might as well not break what isn't broke or not fix what isn't broken uh, but even even the firmware updates have been you know well received from yeah. what i've been hearing but you know when your plan is to get another one you know <laughs> why go through the extra maintenance if your plan sure. is always just a minute to upgrade anyway oh, yeah. Um, but yeah that that's just been pushed back 
I will get another one. I mean, there's just too, too much advantage to having that solubility, you know, to, to having those freer forms and, and cleaner forms, you know, that, that I've watched all the reviews of and like uh, that methodology when you're not doing something like nylon. And I gotta tell you, Form Labs is uh, Fuse One, uh, just another instance of like drooling, like, yeah. It's only ten thousand yeah. dollars. Like only ten thousand dollars, you know. Like, yeah. Just think, you know, you can make usable parts, you know, from your own home, and like, yeah, you, know, you just start drooling. <laughs> yeah, there's just you know all the equipment out there, but it's all secondary because I, I always, you know, like we were talking the other day, prepping for this, like that the really. The real end goal for me is to actually build usable things and not just pretty things. You know, that initial draw of I'm a digital artist and you can't touch anything. On, you, the screen is still flat. You know, you can't touch the hold the something in your hand that you've modeled. That, you know, was a, the initial draw for me. And, and then it grew into, well, can I make things that are useful? And, you know, during COVID, you know, I've, I've forced myself to actually adapt to making usable things or fixing things in my my own home to, you know, with a 3D printer, you know, just how much can I actually do, you know, and just this just during this whole lockdown period, instead of I fixed the toilet chain you know, or the, uh, the flush valve in my toilet, I fixed all the uh, broken uh, shelf pegs in my kitchen. Uh, what else did I do? I, I have that little sketch kit, that, that little roaming sketch kit, you know, that, that I always use, printed out another one of those. Uh, but even before that, uh, one of my favorite objects that never leaves my desk is a carbon fiber inkwell <laughs> that oh. holds my two favorite brushes. So this is just, you know, a simple protopasta filament. Yeah, and this is years old now. It's been the same one. It has a little pouring spout for extra ink to put back in the bottle when I'm done. Uh, but useful things, you know, like how much is you know? I didn't have to pay for this one printer, but the filament pays for itself, you know, yeah. at, at a certain point with all the just the the simple things you can do for yourself around your house, you know, like simple repairs, simple objects, helper objects. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's. You know, I'm still every time I look around and when something breaks, you know, in my eyes, I'm like, it's almost like an exciting thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, like it's a challenge. Have, when you have modeling skills like you do, I, yeah. you know, there's nothing you can't do. That's that's really uh, exciting to be able to do custom stuff like that for yourself. Yeah. With a little bit of flair sometimes. It can Absolutely. be decorative, if it, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the shelf peg thing, that was an adventure because it was, it was right around the time, you know, a bunch of these were going bad. One of them broke catastrophically and an entire bottle of apple cider vinegar just splooshed all over the kitchen floor. I'm like, and I, you know, you're the kind of guy like, I'm not upset because this means that I can use my printer to fix something. There you go. <laughs> just like... I was like, oh, the kitchen smells terrible, but I can fix this, you know, like yeah. so that was another one of those, you know, I'm not going to the hardware store or I'm not going to, you know, ask the handyman to come Whoa. over. No, I can fix Project that myself. opportunity. Yeah. 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 So, so it sounds like it sounds like you're using your 3D printer for for a lot of things around the house. 
besides just um, characters and, yeah. and and work stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it makes it easy to write off <laughs> you know, all the filament I get. You know, it's either a business expense or a home expense. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like either one. You know, I, I, it's it's adaptable to so much. You know, that, oh, yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we get asked a lot uh, from our customers is is the different you know options and what we recommend for 3D modeling. Uh, you know, as you know, there's just so many different tools mm-hmm. out there these days, some, including some excellent free tools that are available. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what you use for some of these different projects, and I'm, I'm guessing it's different depending on whether you're making a you know mm-hmm. a, a part for around the house versus a more detailed character model yeah. or something like that. So what are some of the tools that you use? Yeah, you say you know, the, the, I'll just say this right, right up front. I'm a huge open source nerd. So if it's open source or free, I'll check it out first, you know, before I'm paying for anything. Yeah. But I, but I also use paid software. So for, because of the entertainment industry and the entertainment background, I'll use stuff like ZBrush, Maya, yep. uh, Lightwave I've used in the past. Uh, all kinds of things from that arena, you know, Modo, uh, the entire spectrum of professional software. Uh, yeah, but, you know, uh, everything from, jeez, uh, I'm kind of, I'll have to look at my screen now because there's just <laughs> too many tools to kind of play with. Uh, I've, as always, I'm a huge SketchUp guy. Uh, I've actually used, uh, let's see, Sculptress. ZBrush Core, uh, I've gotten into Blender in a big, big, big way. That's been huge. Uh, but I, you know, things that uh, from back in the day, um, Mesh Mixer. Uh, I've even used, you know, versions of. Uh, oh, let me open it up here. Uh, or different versions of Soft Image back in the day, you know. But all these objects. A lot of the, of the software that I use were, were used to create objects from my past career. And then I just bring them into these open source packages. Do they export well as STLs? Yeah. So, you know, that's the initial test. Uh, usually it is just shooting one program into another program. But, you know, uh, I got to say, you know, I've relied, I've leaned on SketchUp and, you know, Sculptress in a big, big way. And Sculptress was actually bought by uh, Pixel Logic and became ZBrush Core and ZBrush Core Mini. Uh, and ZBrush Core Mini is free and really amazing, actually, for what it is. Uh, but yeah, I've run the gamut. You know, it was always, especially even in entertainment, it was can can this do the particular problem? Can this solve the particular problem that we have on this show? And, and, you know, can we afford it? Or is it free? You know, how do we get it? And, you know, that that's usually more important to the entertainment side. And then the, the 3D printing side was always more driven by what what are we, what's the final format? You know, is am I going to print it on my Ultimaker? Am I going to send it out for resin? Uh, or is it going to be printed, uh, printed in some other exotic or, you know, some other material? You know, what's the, uh, you know, I'm start, starting to think like an engineer. You know, like what's the life cycle? You know, what's uh, what's what do they call it? The mean time between failures. You know, <laughs> like uh, what's the survivability of this this particular object? What's what's the weathering? You know, all that. 
you know, I started to get really into those questions, you know, it was fun, you know, it wasn't just work, you know, when it came to usable objects, you know, like, I'll actually consider that, you know, I'll buy the filament that's appropriate to the job, you know, I'll use the application that's appropriate to the structure or the form factor, uh, you know, and track a lot of things, you know, that way, you know, whereas an entertainment is just like, it ends up as a rendered image, right? you know, so. Yeah, yeah, that's a long answer to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. What was what's the hardest part about uh, bringing your drawings and characters to life in a in a three D printed model? Oh, that's definitely. There are so many different sheets, and you know the idea of in entertainment is that as long as it looks right, it is right, and that's not the thing at all. You know, when you need to print something, that's not a good rule. <laughs> like in, for instance, the Gulani. Uh, there are plates of armor that hover over its own shoulders and knees. Those aren't connected to anything that you see. But in entertainment, it doesn't matter. There's no gravity. You know, there's no forces that act on that model until you tell them to act on the model. Right. That's not an option in 3D printing. So, you know, there's that, you know, you have to build a support structure to everything that, you know, I've ever done. And it was, this is really unique. Um, I showed you guys the model previously. I can show you it again. Let me let me go grab it and I'll show you what right. I mean. Yeah. So while he's doing that, I'll mention that if, if any of you out there are listening to the audio-only podcast version of this, feel free to head over to our blog at 3duniverse.org and, and you can check out uh, our, our blog right up on Jesse's work and you'll see some of these photos of, of his work that he's showing us here. Yes, well, so this is the first object that I built with an eye and from the beginning to end with 3D printing in mind, All right? Every single object on this thing, I modeled watertight. There are no cavities, no voids, nothing. Uh, yeah, I wasn't supposed to do that, but I just, I committed to doing it because this was actually a, a really strange project in terms of, you know, the animation that was required. This head, the tail, and one of these claws was built practically for the movie that this is in. And then I, I attached all the other digital parts to it. So this ring around this object was built to accommodate the, the live action head. So, you know, given that, you know, kind of limitation, I went ahead, somebody actually scanned the head on set. I built a version and it was only used once in the film, but even that version is watertight. Yeah. So like when I when it went came to 3D printing, I literally just had to put this on the bed, set up the supports, and print. That was it. Wow. So we're done. Great. So it was, it was the only object I've ever done that for. And as far as you know, a, a round trip, I guess you would say from beginning to end. You know, it's this this is ready for 3D printing. You know, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was just kind of like you know the the supervisors were okay with it you know like yeah he's, you're getting it done in time and on budget we don't care <laughs> <laughs> so everything is you know start to finish that was a pretty unique project that's uh, really cool do you have some um favorite characters that you've created um 3d printed or otherwise um that are special yeah you to know you? um i have another one right here this is kind of like a, a Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I was a big fan of Groot. He's kind of hard to see because he's yeah. a filament. 
But, you know, a lot of people's Groot's out there, I, I did mine kind of like Venus de Milo with no arms, but he has actual arms. There's another version of this. He has arms. Yeah. But I thought it was so charming that, you know, this was this is printed on the MakerBot. I thought it was really charming when I was splitting this up, you know, like, that's really neat. It's kind of like, Venus, you know, the old Greek broken sculptures, <laughs> yeah. you know, I just left it like that. So yeah. it's, it's one of my little desk idols, you know, it sits on <laughs> my desk as I work. Uh, but that, that, that's definitely one of my favorites. I did another rocket. I did a lot of fan art, you know, 3D printing, mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of people do. There's so much of that stuff out there on CG Trader and, the, you know, the other websites and then yeah. offer downloadable models. But yeah, uh, definitely group yeah, that, that of a lot of the things I've, I've done. You know, there's a reason he sits on my desk, you know, <laughs> the simplicity of the I am group, you know, that's your answer to everything. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, good uh, just keep, it's that reminder to keep it simple, you know, mm -hmm. the very meta kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. How about any, uh, have you have you gotten involved in doing any of those like little tabletop uh, miniatures for gaming, anything like that? Yeah, uh, you know, just as a, a friend of mine was trying to start up uh, his own company and we're still talking about stuff and he went out and bought, I think it was an Anycubic, uh, one of the photons. Uh, to do his own his own miniatures, but you know it's it's from start to finish. He wants to design uh, the gaming system, you know the individual characters, and it, it's all meant to be you know sort of DIY. Uh -huh. He'll, you know he's he's providing more of a service, you know, because I, I think one of his goals is to be like a lot of these tabletop gamings uh, gaming systems are. You know they're more about you know the online social presence than physically buying you know, media. Uh, so it's, 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 it's kind of that thing. You know, and I would be partially responsible for just sort of some of the stuff people can download print on their own or buy, you know, so, uh, you know, he was still working on it, <clears throat> you know, and like a lot of startups during this time, it's, uh, it's rough going, but, you know, he's committed to it, you know, like an old friend of mine. And I just like, yeah, you know, this sounds like fun. <laughs> and it's, you know, tabletop gaming is, uh, the models don't, they don't have the same rigor as a lot of uh, larger detailed entertainment models. You know, there's only so much you can print at even with the best printers. Right. But you know, that, that iconic nature of them is what, you know, he really wants to capture. So yeah. it's a, it's more an art direction problem than it is a technical one. Yeah. But you know, he bought a printer just to, to get familiar with what he was up against. Nice. And, I, and I remember telling him like, oh yeah, you know, like you, you'll do fine. And like, sure thing, but <laughs> you're going to get just as obsessed as I am, you know, like, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um, you're currently working on a 3D printing, a 1.5 foot tall mm -hmm. version. Yeah, his name. Yeah, his name's yeah. I can I have some sketches of him here. This is some of the uh artwork that's going out for the Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's the character. Uh it's it sort of a robotic samurai. Uh, mm -hmm. very very similar in fact to a lot of the pieces of uh on the Gulani. Uh, the armor is a little bit similar. Mm -hmm. But you know, that was a reward for the $500 level which actually no one bought, but I'm gonna to continue to do it because it, it it's, it's something that a lot of people in the campaign were kind of, you know, I sold out of the tier under it. 
So, you know, there was interest there, you know, like, I can't afford that, but I'll get this and that's sold out. So that kind of told me that people, you know, I made a big deal about that figure. It features into the trailer as well. You see the actual data that I'm using to print in the trailer. You know, it was the CG render in the trailer. So it's one to one. What's the name of it again? Encoding Bushido? Yeah, Encoding Bushido. Uh, the and campaign a, ended on the 15th. Yeah. And this is a graphic novel that you're working on? Yeah. Um, offering, I offered the first two issues to people who wanted to start the campaign. Because um, I'm going to, I've split up the seven issues. All seven issues are done. Uh, they just need to be printed. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving people a chance that, you know, two chapters a, a, a shot, you know, with some extra stuff. But Anjin, the name of that character, was supposed to be that foot and a half foot tall figure. And I'm just going to keep printing it and keep updating people on it to keep the campaign kind of fresh till the next one starts. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, maybe, you know, uh, I'll either adjust the, the reward level or print out little ones, you know, like like five inch figures, you know. <laughs> that would be cool. Uh, those, yeah, those are more, you know, a little more uh, accessible, you know, because shipping something that's a foot and a half tall. I wasn't going to ask somebody to assemble this thing on their own. You know, I was going to fully paint it <laughs> yeah. uh, and everything, which I'm, which I'm going to, I'm committed to doing, but you know, over the course of the next few months, maybe uh, yeah. even next year, probably, yeah. <clears throat> uh, you nice know, it's a big commitment. <laughs> what was that? Nice not to have that pressure of having to get it out for a Kickstarter reward yeah. at a certain date, you know? <laughs> well, you know, I'd done it before, you know, I did yeah. it, you know, this was even as it was a, six inches smaller than the Gulani. This is going to be yeah. a piece of cake. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've got all that mileage, you know, I was like, all right, I can split it. I can split this into a minimum of like, or a maximum of eight pieces. You know, it's like, it's like betting like a, uh, you know, Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean. You're like, I can do that in five. I can do it in three. You're like, oh yeah, call me a liar. I'm like, yeah. so yeah, that was, uh, I, I had already kind of, mentally split up the, the objects it was only going to be two arms two legs the head and torso and then the base uh you know because i had maxed out the volume of the the printer you know already and i was like oh yeah these will, all these pieces will fit even the legs so yeah uh and then it was just going to be airbrushed and i was going to borrow an airbrush and uh mm -hmm. i've already got a paint kit some other stuff and it was going to be easy and, you know from model painting back in the days it was you know, a lot of, I'm sure you guys find this as well, that any kid who built plastic models as a kid and got into 3D printing is already predisposed to making amazing stuff. Oh, you yeah. know, like I've seen guys out there like, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Valcro. I don't know his name. To this day, I don't know what his real name is, but he was one of Ultimaker's uh, early, early champions, you know, and, and artists, kind of artists in residence. That guy's done some amazing stuff, but you can tell, you know, I mean, he said it a billion times that, oh yeah, my brother and I used to build model kits and break them and burn them and all this other stuff. And then <laughs> along comes this 3D printer, you know, like we can make all kinds of other stuff, you know, oh, yeah. paint them and burn them and blow them up. And um, <laughs> just that, you know, that level of, you know, uh, childlike enthusiasm for a medium, you know, you, you can't ignore that. So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
Well, so here we find ourselves in the midst of this uh, pandemic and, uh, you know, we're all working out of the home. And you mentioned that earlier that you were one of the sort of the pioneers with with that uh, <laughs> uh, approach. How are you finding it now? Are you able to still work in your industry from home? Has this impacted you much? Uh, yep. I took a late lunch today just to work uh, to, to meet with you guys. So, uh, yeah, I've been working for the past couple months totally from home. It's kind of amazing that this company, uh, they they established all of this, like a lot of the entertainment industry did in the period of COVID completely online, you know, with a handful of people working from the office still. And they've they've done it almost completely seamlessly. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was kind of shocked, but I've actually mentioned to a handful of the executives at the company, you know, like, uh, had you been working on this prior to the the lockdown and like no all of this all the training all the online training all the online um facilities capabilities organization it feels like they've been doing this from the beginning yeah and i was like you guys made it look easy you know like i signed on for my orientation i signed on for you know all the ndas you have to sign all the other paperwork the employment paperwork the work itself, how seamlessly the actual software works, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, your own VPN, you know, your own connection, your own dedicated workstation at the office, mm-hmm. how that all works with their IT specialists. Um, it, it really feels seamless. And I'm, you know, I'm crossing my fingers because every once in a while, the little gremlins pop up and nobody knows where, they, where they're coming from. And, it, you know, working from home makes it more difficult, but, mm-hmm. You know, crossing my fingers, you know, it's been pretty spectacular, actually. That's great. So. Yeah, you know, I, I suspect we'll see more of this. I mean, all the technologies mm-hmm. have come together now. So like you said, you can do this effectively. And I, I have to think that for some of these uh, big productions, it's it's got to even have some advantages of doing things digitally as opposed to building maybe expensive sets and things like that. So even some more, you know, reason to, to do it through, through this uh remote collaborative approach. It's exciting stuff. I will tell you the the one the one biggest advantage that we've had uh, or that the company has had is that they no longer have to, to depend on local the local talent. You know, there are people that have moved away, you know, that, that they've regretted letting go and like, oh, I'm moving to Georgia. I'm like, hey, we can still hire you. You know, yeah. like, you got a T1 connection? <laughs> like, all right, you know, we're yeah. good to go. <laughs> Anywhere you want to be. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, when companies commit to that sort of openness, it really does, you know, it really does open the opportunities for people, you know, that, you know, geography alone could, could limit, you know, so uh, that's been, we discussed that kind of at length when, you know, when I started, you know, that uh, I had always kind of been curious because I, my previous office, this is funny my previous office was literally like a thousand yards from this company. You know, I could have walked down the street, you know, and, you know, in the, you know, Hey, you guys hiring? And I'm like, uh, it's just kind of strange, you know, that are the two companies I worked at most recently are basically neighbors, but now I'm working from home, you know, so there's both (laughs) irony and, you know, kind of meta characteristics to that whole story. Whole new world. Yeah, the whole new world. Yeah, brave new world, as they say. Uh, so any uh, any other projects that you're working on right now, either 3D printing or otherwise, just anything other than the projects we've talked about? Uh, well, just the, the 
you know, just fulfilling the Kickstarter rewards is a project in and of itself. But, sure. you know, uh, there's a there's a long standing, you know, uh, project of mine that, that little pen case that I made, you know, like actually perfecting that has been a big deal for me. It was initially one of the biggest reasons I was salivating over that Fuse one is that I could, you know, with with a nylon printer, I could actually make something that is as durable enough for people to use every day. You know, like uh, the famous example from uh, their product launch or uh, the the launch uh, uh, launch announcement was that they made bike pedals. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, and someone uses them on the bike that he uses to get to work. And I was like, yeah, we fresh off the printer. I put them on, went home, came back. I'm like, yep, still good. And he's been using them ever since, you know? So that was just like sold, you know, like right across my forehead, you know, like uh, it would have been a perfect material for the the object that I wanted to make. Uh, simplified to, you know, it's absolute essentials, you know, but uh, you know, the future plans, you know, you always, you always have that eye you know, as soon as they launch one of those, I'm, you know, COVID or no COVID, I've got to see it up close. You know, I want to see it in action. I'm going to order, you know, a sample, you know, like, oh, okay, I got to get my hands on this. Uh, but yeah, you know, future plans, uh, definitely just keep going with encoding Bushido. You know, there's, there's, you know, uh, five more issues to publish. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know the, the 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 job that I'm working on now for this this particular company, I'm under NDA, not to talk about, but it's definitely got a huge 3D component. So when they allow me, you know, I'm gonna blast it out to the universe, like, hey, look at this, you know, as when I'm allowed. So uh, hopefully by Christmas. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering how, um, you know, we've got. COVID happening and all these schools and teachers and kids doing distance learning. Um, and, you know, they're reading stories, writing stories. Mm-hmm. It would be really cool for them to um, work with their teachers. Maybe the teacher has the 3D printer um, and could encourage the kids to turn their own story characters into 3D models with Tinkercad or something and then 3D mm-hmm. print them. Do you have any advice for teachers on on how to get them? Uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're like every single kid has played a video game now. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they can't get away. You can't take away 3D from kids. They know what it is kind of intrinsically. And, you know, there's that like when I was a kid, like there was nothing like this. There were 2D cartoons, you know. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that that kind of built-in vocabulary of depth, you know, just for for a kid playing video games every day. It's built in. They're already chomping at the bit to do this. Um, uh, every single one of my friends in visual effects who has kids, almost every single one of them has tried 3D software. They don't need you to teach them anything. They know, <laughs> already true. know. The, the Minecraft alone, the Minecraft builder, mm-hmm. I, my friend's four-year-old uses that to build entire environments. He didn't need his father to teach him how to do that. He just kind of picked it up. He knew, you know, there was the soft, there's yeah. enough software out there that is so entry level and so attuned to what kids already know 
because mm -hmm. they've gamified, there's gamification in the software alone. Right. That, that, that all you have to do as a teacher is to just do it, you know, to offer it mm -hmm. and it'll happen. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's kind of it. And like you what, can, what I, in uh, Minecraft, you can design something in the game and then turn it into an S. Can you yeah, and, and, and export it? them? Yeah, that's, the software allows, I believe, for uh, I think either FBX or STL exports. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's like, oh, you built that thing? Let's go print it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's the parents and, and you know, the, the grownups are going to have to be taught stuff, not the kids. Right. You know, right. it's the other way around now, you know, to keep them going with that, to keep that encouragement, to keep that that richness going. You, you, it's, it's, it's us who have to do the training. That's uh, true. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, you know, when you, you still need teachers for stuff like the software that I'm using. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm finding that the users are getting younger and more skilled all the time, you know, yeah. because they're just, you know, latching on at a younger age and they're already like they, they everyone uses this term and it's overused, but they're digitally native. You know, they, they know what computers do. They know what file managers do, they know <laughs> right. what file formats are, they know what, uh, you know, 2D versus 3D. They know what, you know, the, these, these things integrate and what they're, what they're good at doing, you know, before right. anybody else, you know, or even what they want them to do. Like uh, my friend's son, when he builds something in Minecraft, knows what he wants to make. He already has that concept, that meta conceptual aspect down, you know, and that's usually the thing you have to teach, yeah. you know, but that's not that way anymore. You know, what really has to happen in, in, in my mind is that it just needs to be unleashed officially. Yeah. You know, as a matter of, you know, instead of recess, you get to, okay, go build your Minecraft. You know, you get 20 minutes to play in Minecraft or it, that's it. You know, it just has to be open. The door just needs to open. That's it's making space for yeah. it. Yeah. 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 It's not being rude in class. No, he's building something in 3D. It's not him cheating. It's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. crazy. Uh, yeah, really it's cool. really cool to see what they do with these technologies. Yeah. So we're coming up on the top of our hour here. It's It's been such a thrill to talk with you, Jesse. I'm so glad you were able to join us here. Uh, yeah, for, people, uh, for people listening or watching uh, the recording, if they want to learn more about you and your work, where can they go? Uh, I would suggest either going to Twitter or Instagram. My handle's Z-E-U-S-T-O-V-E-S, -E -E uh, Zeus Tovez. That's usually the best place. I have my own website, but that's usually more for, uh, that's more a professional use. I have a YouTube channel under the same nickname. Uh, that's been used almost exclusively for a Kickstarter. But a lot of that stuff is gonna end up going public as soon as the backers get all the rewards. So I made a ton of behind the scenes videos about how I use 3D uh, in, in order to make comics uh, publishing. And I'm gonna start branching out into other topics, but for now, uh, yeah, just Zeus Tovez on those platforms and you'll find me. Terrific. Cool. Terrific. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to join us here, Jesse. I appreciate you having me on. It's fantastic. Been Absolutely. a 3D universe guy for a while, so. <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate that. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for joining us and we will see you for the next episode of 3D Universe Untethered. Take care, all. Thanks. Bye.